Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. You know, religious freedom isn't just a nice constitutional idea or a nice thing for us to have here in America. It has been part of American foreign policy. And this year, Congress has taken act to strengthen the role of religious freedom in our approach to the world. Our guest today to talk about the International Religious Freedom Act, my good friend, Melissa Reed, director of the North American Religious Liberty Association, proud co-sponsor, she told me before the show, proud co-sponsor of Freedom's Ring, and also editor of Liberty Magazine, which we're in our fundraising mode for right about now. Melissa, welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friend. Thank you so much, Alan. I appreciate being involved in the conversation. Listen, we appreciate all that you do. For those who want to... um, honor and support Liberty Magazine, they can do so how? Well, they can absolutely go to our website, which is www.libertymagazine.org. We're actually a unique publication in that we provide all of our content online available for free. So I really encourage individuals to go check out Liberty Magazine if you're not familiar with it already. Uh, It's a searchable database of over a decade. And then, of course, if you like what you see and would like to share that with others, you can either give a sponsor a gift or subscription, or you can sign up for yourself, or you can just give a donation. And that's all at libertymagazine.org. And, of course, we send Liberty Magazine to many thousands of elected officials and judges and journalists and teachers and those who are the influential leaders in our society. Yeah, and we often hear back from those individuals here in our editorial office thanking us. They're always curious how they got on the subscriber list, and we're thrilled to be able to tell them that individuals interested in preserving liberty of conscience have you know, sponsored that subscription for them. But we often hear from the individuals who receive those subscriptions, and they're, they are grateful uh, for the publication. So we're always thrilled to hear that. So let's turn to our topic of the day, the International Religious Freedom Act. Tell me about uh, what it is that Congress has done here. Right. Well, back in 1998, the International Religious Freedom Act was passed by the U.S. Congress. In part, that was because of the encouragement and leadership and the sponsorship of that particular bill by then-Congressman Frank Wolf. Uh, for those that work in human rights advocacy, you'll recognize that name. He's been a decades-long leader for human rights, but um, for religious freedom in particular. And so um, that particular piece of legislation set up the International Religious Freedom Office in the State Department. And so this bill that came out in 2016 was actually, it was was named the Frank Wolf International Religious Freedom Act, and it was sponsored by Representative Chris Smith. Also, for those that you know that follow religious freedom issues and legislation, another leader in, in Congress as far as um, espousing international religious freedom issues. But Chris Smith wanted to see uh, the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998 strengthened, and the Office of International Religious Freedom there at the State Department their um, their clout strengthened and um, and really given some tools 
to be able to uh, counteract the various religious discrimination and persecution that we see, unfortunately, around the world today. So, as I said, um, this bill was sponsored by Chris Smith um, back in February of 2015, and then it was passed by the House in May of 2016, um, but it, it languished, um, it went over to the Senate side, and it wasn't until December, the beginning of December, that the Senate took it up uh, and took a look at it. And it was really kind of an incredible story as far as how it passed, because as you know, we're getting or towards the end of um, the uh, year, things um, there's sort of like a, a dead time and things aren't really happening. Um, but those who have been uh, following a bill and pushing for it for a particular time, it can be also a very frantic uh, time of year. And so um, in December, right uh, when the uh, continuing resolution for um, the government funding was um, needing to be passed, um, that's the same time when this International Religious Freedom Act was up um, to be passed as well. And so uh, it went through the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and just went back to the Senate floor to be passed. But um, there was a senator from West Virginia, uh, Joe Manchin, who put a hold on the bill. And basically, he did that uh, along with 26 other bills, and it was simply because he wanted to force a longer-term deal on pensions for retired coal miners there in his home state of West Virginia. So it had nothing to do with the actual legislation of the International Religious Freedom Act, but was just using that as leverage. Um, So we actually contacted um, Seventh-day Adventist pastors and church leadership in West Virginia and ask them to please contact this senator's office and explain, you know, we certainly understand the need for protecting the pensions of these coal miners, but this International Religious Freedom Act is just too precious and too necessary to sort of be caught in the crossfire of, you know, of of politicization. So um, that happened. I contacted uh, the West Virginia administration of the Adventist Church there on a Thursday and then, um, and they immediately said, we're going to share this with all of our local pastors, and we'll get it into the bulletins, and we'll have everybody praying on Saturday at church. And um, it, it was just amazing to see God work, because late in the day on Friday, the senator removed his hold from the bill, and on Sabbath morning, that legislation passed out of the Senate. And so then it was incredible to see that that's the way it happened, but then something even incredible because there had been a bit of an amendment uh, in the Senate side. It actually had to go back to the House. Right. Well, meanwhile, um, most of the members of the House had left town for the year. You know, they've, they'd gone for Christmas break. And so it was very, uh, the only way that this could become law was for the House to take it up and to pass it by unanimous consent in a pro forma session, which it did on the Tuesday and then on the 16th of December, right at the end of the legislative session, the president signed it into law. So it was really incredible to see how God worked uh, throughout the year. Um, you know, we partnered with, I think it was like 70-something other, uh, both religious organizations and human rights organizations, pushing and advocating for this particular piece of legislation. But then when it came down to such a critical time, um, just really how God worked on the hearts of different individuals and made it happen. So that's a very inspiring story, but I'm still confused about what the bill does to strengthen our 
uh, you know, projecting religious freedom in the global community. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of really good stuff in the bill. And, um, for example, you, I know, are familiar with this, um, this list that the State Department and the International Religious Freedom Office puts out every year that countries have particular concern. Right. Basically, it's a watch list that the U.S. government has put together and then says, here's the areas or here's the countries where we're seeing religious persecution take place, either by the government or by, uh, you know, um, um, entities that the government are allowing for this to happen. So that has already existed with the original piece of legislation. There's a couple of new changes. First of all, there is now a designated persons list, and this is for individuals who commit egregious violations of religious freedom. And there are lists of ways that these individuals can be sanctioned, whether it's, you know, financial or by their visas, things like that. And then there's also entities of particular concern, and these are designations for non-state actors like terrorist groups. And this is a big deal for our community because we're seeing a lot of these situations are now happening not by government, but by, you know, organizations like Boko Haram or ISIS or, or um, you know, non-state actors. And so to be able to call them out in that way is really helpful. That's and then very second, interesting. Yeah. And then secondly, the system um, ranking these countries has now become a two-tier system. And so now there is a special watch list. And so basically that's kind of like the runner-up countries. They're not on the, you know, the, the list of countries of particular concern, but they are ones to watch. And if they stay on that list, for more than three years, they immediately sort of get bumped up to um, the more egregious list. Um, a couple more things that I find really cool is, first of all, the position that was established with the original piece of legislation, um, which is the ambassador for international, excuse me, the ambassador at large for international religious freedom. Alan, I'm sure you remember, we've had really good relationships with several of the ambassadors sure. in the past. First of all, the first ambassador for international religious freedom was Ambassador Robert Seipel. Right. And he's served on the board of the International Religious Liberty Association, sponsored by the Adventist Church. Absolutely, yes. And then there's been uh, Susan Johnson Cook, John Hanford, currently serving is well-known human rights advocate David Saperstein. Saperstein, right. Yeah, a really um, a, a who's who of international religious freedom experts. And we at the Seventh-day uh, Avenue Church have had the honor of recognizing all of those individuals at our annual Religious Liberty Dinner at, on various years. Um, but that position there at the State Department, this new piece of legislation, elevates it to report directly to the Secretary of State. So a big jump as far as influence, you know, um, there at the State Department. Also, um, there is now going to be, I talked about a designated persons list for individuals who are committing crimes. This piece of legislation also creates a list of religious prisoners around the world. So highlighting individual cases. And we all know from working in this field that when you personalize an issue, that's really how a lot of times you can gain the attention of the general public is by seeing those spaces and hearing those individual stories. Sure. So I'm excited to hear that that's going to be a part of the State Department's work as well. And uh, finally, there is now going to be a requirement for all Foreign Service officers to have international religious freedom training. So it's going to be part of their curriculum there. Um, at the School for Foreign Service. 
So that's I think it's really a, interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of good stuff, and that's one reason why. I mean, why we've really pushed uh, for so long, and with several other entities, um, dozens of other entities, to make this happen. But it's a bill that had you know strong bipartisan support. Certainly, that's obvious because, as we know, nothing's been happening in Congress, and so for this to be able to pass. You know, it was it was uh, well regarded on both sides of the aisle, and I think really is giving some tools, providing some tools uh, to the State Department to um, help you know tackle some of these egregious international just freedom issues. Sure. To put this in perspective, Melissa, you know, several years ago I started using the statistic that something like seventy percent of the global population live in nations with little or no religious freedom. And I was startled and dismayed recently to see that that number had gone up to 76%. Yeah, it's incredible. So think about it, listeners. You know, three quarters of the world live in nations with little or no religious freedom. So this issue of, you know, our nation advocating for pluralism, for religious freedom, for the ability of people to live in peace and, and have a, a different religion, or change their religion. These are really fundamental to affecting people's lives. It's so critical. And Melissa, we sure appreciate the work that you do and um, bringing us this wonderful success story, uh, a rare shining moment out of Congress. Yeah, God is good. It's, it's certainly we could see his work throughout. So our guest today, Melissa Reed, Director of the North American Religious Liberty Association. Melissa, thanks as always for being with us on Freedom's Ring. Thanks, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We offer legal services help to those suffering religious discrimination. Check us out at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom ring.